What are you doing right now? Perhaps you're in the supermarket. Maybe you're on a run or on the commute. But wherever you are in the world, and whatever you're doing, right now you're also listening to my voice. This is the power of podcasts. The ability to communicate with your audience in an intimate and intentional way through audio. I'm B. Duncan, Senior Partnerships Producer at Intelligence Squared. We've been a world-leading forum for talks, debates and events for over two decades. And we also use our cutting-edge curation, creativity and editorial expertise to elevate your brand to new audiences with podcasting. Intrigued? To find out what we can do for your organisation, book into a free consultation with me today. Find out more by going to www.intelligencesquared.com forward slash partnerships. Welcome to Intelligence Squared. I'm Connor Boyle. Advertising hasn't always had the best reputation. Whether it's playing on our most primal fears, encouraging needless consumption or perpetuating damaging stereotypes, it can sometimes feel that the ad industry has a lot to answer for. But can advertising's immense power actually be used for good? In this new series produced by Intelligence Squared in partnership with Havas US, two of Havas's chief creative officers, Myra Nussbaum and Dan Lucy, Talk to the people who are harnessing the power of advertising to help people and the planet. In each episode, Dan and Myra will speak to the creatives and marketeers who are using advertising to combat misinformation, racial inequality, gun violence, and other blights on our world. We want to know, could advertising help save us after all? Our first guest is former chief marketing officer of Nike, Greg Hoffman. Here's Dan and Myra with more. Welcome to Advertising Will Save Us, the podcast that looks at how the ad industry can move the world forward, culturally, socially, environmentally, creatively, all the ease. I'm Myra Nussbaum, President and Chief Creative Officer of Havas Chicago. Hi, and I'm Dan Lucy, Chief Creative Officer of Havas New York, and welcome to episode one. We hope you enjoy it and... Who knows, you might even learn something. You might be wondering why we've called it Advertising Will Save Us. Look around, people. The world is pretty scary right now. Something has to, right? Yes. Look, Myra and I are both agency veterans, and we get that people don't always love advertising. But the truth is, we're actually doing some good in the world. Yeah. We all know most people in the world skip the things we make, right, Dan? It's okay. If they have an option, usually they do. We also know that advertising is what fuels the free press and gives us access to much of the internet without having to pay for it. So there you have it. Advertising can be a nuisance, but it also has the power to educate and enlighten us. And that's what we're going to focus on. But it's not going to be all advertising propaganda. Don't worry. We know we have a lot to fix. So every week we'll be speaking to a different inspiring business leader, creative, ad tech, watchdog, activist, etc., to show how advertising as an industry and through its power to reach millions of people can, again, like I said, however ironic, save us. But first, let's acknowledge some of our misgivings. Each episode, we're going to start with a segment um, where we acknowledge all the ways advertising has made society worse. 
We asked people on social what they find problematic with advertising, and we got some really great answers, many of which were not that surprising. So this first one, while not a surprise, was something that I hadn't really thought about, and it comes from Chamsadeen Abdahafid, and I'm very sorry if I'm butchering your name. Uh, feel free to call us out on that. Uh, Chamsadeen said, in engineering companies, the CEOs are engineers. In accounting companies, the CEOs are accountants. In law firms, the senior partners are lawyers. In creative agencies, the CEOs are rarely, if ever, the creatives. So what do you think about that, Dan? They're not wrong. No, I think I think uh, they're absolutely right. Um, I just don't think most creatives can be trusted to run a company. <laughs> Is that messed up? No, I, I, I think people have a low opinion of creatives when it comes to responsibility and, and, and our ability to run a company. Um, I'd like to think I could do it. I, I know, I know you got a role as a president, so obviously some people are trusting you. You run a company. I mean, you're part of the executive committee, so you are technically running part of it. I do think that like CEO or president role is t- traditionally held for people that got a business degree, uh, maybe didn't spend the first twenty years of their career working diligently on getting the art direction just right or the copy just right. And I also think sometimes creatives are just too buried in the process to think about or even want that bigger job of running the business. I think I think that's true. I think, is there a real want? Do they want that? And two, it's such a different job, right? It really is a different job. And, you know, as a creative leader, and I know you feel this, there's always that tension Am I focusing too much on the process or too much organizing my teams or too, you know, in too many meetings that don't have to do with the work? Um, and there's always that, you know, that question good creative leaders should be asking themselves, should I be in the work more? And I know I try to be in the work as much as possible because at the end of the day, that's really all that matters. You know, happy employees and great work. I think everything else, you know, happy clients obviously will fix itself. But our next guest, right, was a CMO and started out as a graphic designer and not just a CMO of any company, a CMO of arguably the company that does the best advertising work worldwide. And he had a long storied career doing just brilliant stuff. But first, let me call out, if you have a problem with our industry, what bothers you about advertising, tweet us at Havas, hashtag advertising will save us, or email us at podcastfeedback at Havas.com. Let us know what bugs you, and we will put your gripe on the air. Okay, so we're super excited about our first guest. He's genuinely a legend in our industry, and we're super grateful that we got to sit down and pick his brain. Greg Hoffman, our guest today, is the former chief marketing officer of Nike. He joined the company as a design intern in 1992 and rose through the ranks to become the CMO. During his 28 years at Nike, or was it 30? I don't know. We get into it in the interview. Greg creatively led three Olympic campaigns, worked with everyone from LeBron James to Serena Williams to Colin Kaepernick. He led Nike to greater brand recognition than ever before, as well as driving themes of equality, sustainability, and empowerment through their brand communications. He recently released a new book, Emotion by Design, in which he sets out the leadership lessons from his career so far. Hey, Greg, thanks so much for joining us today and welcome to Advertising Will Save Us. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure and an honor, and I look forward to the conversation. Well, let's start it uh, by talking about your 30-year career at Nike. What a marathon. Ba-dum-bum. Had to get one of those puns in right off off the bat. (laughs) Um, We want to rewind all the way to the beginning when you started at Nike as an intern in 
1992? That's right. Yes. That's correct. What What do you think your younger self would say if you told him he'd become one of the main creative leaders at Nike one day? At that time, I, I couldn't envision myself as a leader yet, right? I was just honing my craft, if you will. But um, being able to be a part of a, a culture and an organization that allows you to learn and to fail every day, I was able to kind of form my, my leadership mindset and methodology, if you will. And a big part of that is having mentors and teammates that took the time to coach me when I needed it, uh, support me and um, fuel my own self-belief, if you will. You know, I'm, I'm so impressed that you have a design background. It, it makes you that much more interesting, I think, overall, and that much more interesting, obviously, to Myra and I. Um, I, I wasn't a designer. I was I was an art director. I guess I still am an art director to some degree. And Myra, were you a designer? You were, you were an art director. I was a journalism student. I took design classes post-graduation Okay. to get better as an art director. But yeah, I wish I would have gone to design yeah. school. You You clearly had some good mentoring maybe from parents or somebody in high school to direct you toward... A graphic design degree? Uh, certainly did. I, you know, my parents uh, absolutely supported this obsession I had with with art and all forms of art, drawing, painting, sculpting, you name it. I do tell this story of sharing my, a bedroom with my two brothers, very small room, but one of the walls, they took wood and created a wood frame around the entire white wall and said, this is the mural for your imagination. And so I was able to, over the years, uh, I was also obsessed, obviously, with comic books and sports and branding and logos. And so I drew all over this wall, all kind of representing my passion visually, if you will. Uh, but, you know, one of the things when I coming up in design and, and going into that internship is that I, I wasn't asking a lot of questions about how I wanted the audience to feel about my work, right? I was really looking at it from a visual perspective. What's the best composition? What's the best color theory, et cetera, et cetera. And when I got to Nike, coming into those critiques and those meetings, you had individuals really asking the questions, how are people supposed to feel when they interact with this story? And not just about the Nike brand, but how, how do we want them to feel about themselves mm. and their ability to achieve their hopes and aspirations? And so that's, that was the big unlock that started to, I guess you could say, put me on this path to becoming a hybrid where yeah. you're, you're deeply engaged in marketing and advertising, innovation and design. You know, your book was was fantastic, by the way, Emotion by Design, and I know that's out, and and I really enjoyed it. But you also talked about how growing up, Nike kind of played a special role in you connecting to, to black culture, right? You have a little bit of an interesting upbringing, and maybe you weren't as in touch with black culture as, as much as maybe other people would have been. But Nike, because you're seeing the athletes on TV and you're seeing how Nike was embracing, not everybody was white in their commercials, which is you know, in a lot of commercials there were back in the 80s and the late 70s. Um, do, do, you want, do you want to talk a little bit about that and, and your relationship to Nike? And I guess my question is, when you joined, did you realize how important it is that Nike has been one of 
those brands that's um, representing everybody? Well, yeah, and, and great question. So yes, I grew up in, in the Midwest, in, in Minnesota, in a suburb outside of Minneapolis. And, uh, you know, as the only person of color in my school system, you know, I'm half black, half white, biracial. I'm also adopted, okay? So grew up uh, with my loving white parents and white family. And so I, and, and during the, those formative years, you know, I had some, some fairly rough experiences when it comes to uh, racism and really feeling like an outsider, if you will. And so in some ways, art and sports were escapes from that reality and kind of diving headfirst into that. And so, yes, my connection then to feeling prideful of my identity and who, who I was came from the athletes and sport, came from the world of entertainment and music, because those were the only people I saw that looked like me. Um, and I really didn't have a way to express how I felt about certain aspects of my experience to those that were around me, whether it's teachers, classmates, parents. And so one of the things that started happening in the mid 80s was this brand Nike introducing these very anthemic stories into the world. I talk about that first one being the I Love LA commercial during the LA Olympics in 1984. I'm 14 years old. I love track and field. Here's Carl Lewis in this commercial flying in the air into the Santa Monica beach. You have Randy Newman, the musician in a convertible driving down the streets of LA singing I Love LA. It just blew me away, right? Because clearly this, this wasn't just a product, right? This, this was something that was so visceral and immersive. And that just set off a series of stories and communication and advertising in the 80s that, yes, was not status quo in terms of the type of people you were seeing in there. And I would say that, you know, Nike, as they do now, had way back then been using its platform as an invitation to be a part of a movement of potential, if you will, like as an athlete. So that's how, how I looked at um, those commercials. They were invitations to be part of something bigger than just yourself. It was quite exciting then. And um, I think it is something that brands can learn from. Which is, like you said, 84, so I'm just doing the math. We're almost 40 years later, and it feels like brands are just catching up. Like, we have a lot of brands now talking purpose. It's been a few years, but it really took them at least 30 years to say, oh, Nike's Nike's not just making great endorsement deals. They're not just hiring great directors. They're really on a mission, clearly, to unlock this athlete in all of us. Why do you think it took, this is a really unanswerable question, but maybe you've thought about this. Why do you think it took brands so long to start thinking like this? Thinking, and they still aren't quite there, most of them, but what do you think was the holdup? It's hard to create action and create movement against some of these pressing causes if people don't feel something deep inside themselves um, about your purpose and your promise. If it's just 
a transaction, if it's just, uh, it, it serves only a functional benefit and there's no emotional value within that relationship, well, it's pretty hard then to ask someone to go above and beyond um, that relationship and lean in to try to push the world forward in a more positive way. So that's, that's what I would say. It's recognizing that it's not a moment, it's a movement. And I think that's something that a lot of brands could be served well with having that mindset. Nike's done it better than anybody. I mean, you've been a part of so many great campaigns. I mean, Find Your Greatness was was incredible and what a positive message. But, you know, you guys did, made the right call, obviously, by, you know, using Colin Kaepernick to be in the, the Dream Crazy adverts. But w- what was that like? Because unfortunately, the country was going to receive that and not everybody was going to be behind it. And there was going to be some controversy. And you guys are so good at having that purpose and doing the right thing and supporting everyone. Um, was there a lot of internal debate around that? Well, it's important to realize that we were standing on the shoulders of all the great work that came before, uh, certainly when it came to fighting racial injustice, we were only a year and a half removed from the equality campaign, which was a very impactful campaign featuring everyone from LeBron James to Serena Williams and everyday athletes like you and I, as well as the athletes on the professional stage. And, you know, that was a case of athletes saying is, why are we equals on the court or on the the track or on the field? But when we step off of it, we're equals no more. And so equality in 2017, um, that campaign, that movement, if you will, was to address that. So fast forward to 2018, we already had a history and a commitment to addressing the cause of of racial injustice. And we also had a very um, diverse team that was working on the Dream Crazy campaign. So when you're in the room, that essentially is your focus group, is the team itself, right? You have enough objective opinions. You have individuals that didn't grow up in the U.S., so they are able to have also an objective voice And then myself, you know, growing up in similar circumstances as Colin, you know, we are both biracial, half black, half white. And like Colin, you know, we're both adopted and grew up in a white family. So as I say to folks in that first meeting way back in the summer of 2017, when Colin didn't have a team to play for and he came to the Nike campus and I sat next to him, I couldn't help but look through the eyes of my younger self and and look through that lens. And I think that's the spirit of making sure you have a team culture that not only has diverse expertise, but you have individuals that have unique lived-in experiences that shape their perspectives, and they're allowed to exercise that in the room. It was amazing. It, I mean, it really, it was one of those campaigns that makes you thankful to have the career you do. So thank you for that, I guess. So that wasn't a question. That was just a uh, big thank you. Just a praise. But again, it gets back into creating a platform or tools where people can act and 
drive change. And you've seen a lot of great brands stand up and speak up, but also invest and create opportunities to push well beyond just communication or advertising. And that's been great to see. And I think uh, certainly, you know, I have a big affinity for a few brands and, and campaigns that I've seen over the last 18 months that I think use advertising as the invitation to state what the call to action is or to inspire people. Do you want to name any of those campaigns? Are you reserving? Yeah, no, there, there's a couple that that stood out that surprised me, right? I was, you know, in both cases, I was actually sitting at home or on the road and watching TV and Hennessy, actually, the Hennessy brand, their Dear Destiny campaign that featured Nas. And, you know, he's, he's writing a, a letter essentially to his daughter. And I thought that was just not only effective, but profound is because he was writing about first going back to Tulsa, Oklahoma and the Black Wall Street that existed and then the Tulsa race massacre. So you're bringing awareness and you're bringing history about the black experience, good and bad, to the world of today. So that's one. And then two, connecting that to the innovators and startup founders and entrepreneurs that oftentimes don't get the resources and the investments that, that are needed. So you're shining a light on that. And then, by the way, there is a, a fund or an opportunity to be a part of, of investing. You know, there's a tool that you can take action beyond the commercial itself. So that was one where I stood back and it's like, wow, two minutes of advertising time on the NAACP Image Awards, that's, that's pretty big. And the other one that stood out to me was um, Google using its Super Bowl time to launch their smartphone, the, the Pixel 6 Realtone smartphone. And just to talk about the fact that for years, camera phone technology, um, the lens technology did not kind of represent certain skin colors properly through the imagery. And again, to use your platform, you know, uh, during the Super Bowl to do that, I think at the end of the day, someone's got a lead. Anyways, those are just one of many where I stepped back and I said, that's not only a commitment, but there's an actual message and, and then a medium where people can engage and act together. Mm -hmm. My daughters, I was back to school shopping and we were looking for supplies and they needed the 24 crayon Crayola pack. You know, that like just quintessential. Yeah, you got to them up to the 48 immediately. <laughs> with hey, the it's, C it's CPS. They're making it accessible for everyone. And um, they, my daughter, the six-year-old pointed at the pack with the, it's the Crayola and I, I don't know the exact name. It's the Skin Tones palette. So it's like all the shades right. yes. of um, white and browns and blacks. And she was like, I think that one, I don't understand that one. And I was like, oh, those are skin tones. So now you can, when you draw people, you can shade them to look exactly how you want them instead of just defaulting to white, pink, or black, right, or brown. Like, And she was just looking at it. And it wasn't, not a lot of questions. She got it. But it was like, wow, how great is it that brands, even at that level, are starting to make changes to their actual product and offering so that it is truly radically accessible? It's amazing. 
And it's a wonder that, again, it took that long. It, it is. And, and um, it's the, the tragedy of, of George Floyd also, of course, as we know, was a massive catalyst yeah. to drive more diverse representation, more inclusive teams with internally within brands, agencies, companies. And as that's happening, you're starting to see solutions in the world, whether it's product solutions or, or stories or branding, et cetera, that, that represent the aspirations and, and needs and wants of people that, quite frankly, face barriers for, for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, or I, I'm just a big believer of, you know, and this is where I think, you know, certainly agencies can help, you know, really challenge companies to expand their peripheral vision and look at communities, individuals, or even cities that don't have access to the inspiration and innovation that we all do. And taking the time to to look beyond those you serve that are right in front of you to see who else can we invite to be a part of, of this. So it really is just how, how do you how do you be a brand of human potential, right? How do you be a brand that is focused on, and I think this is really important for any young individual moving into whether it's a marketing design or advertising agency, serve the full journey, not the moment. If you're creating mm-hmm. solutions where you believe you're going to be in this person's life for decades versus just a minute or a day, it's quite powerful. And it's going to, I think, unlock your ingenuity in ways it wouldn't if you're only focused on the moment. So I'm I'm a big believer in creativity and creative solutions that serve an entire journey of progression. You're saying so many smart and important things. And, you know, I I do see a lot of what we do as creating a relationship with a consumer on behalf of the brand and using that creativity to kind of reach them and kind of show shared values and kind of, you know, motivate them and whatever it is. I I do think that's important. Um, You had a bit in your book about Coach K, and and I have a bunch of questions on this. First off, I want to know what it was like being in the room. You kind of described that he was giving you a locker room talk. And even though you like the rest of the country and, I, and I'm with you on this, Duke is, is not our favorite um, college basketball program. You know, I think they're, they're sort of easy to hate in some ways. Um, so one, two point questions. One, I want to know what it was like, what that speech was like. Um, and, and two, I, I'd love you to get into a little bit about what he said. And he said, like, you have the advantage to see what others don't. And I think as marketers, we have the advantage to kind of see what others don't and, and being close to companies and brands and all that. And, and that kind of allows us to tap into purpose and allow us, allows us to come up with different skin tones, you know, whatever it, it needs. Um, but let's just talk about Coach K. Is he a good halftime speaker? Does he fire people up? What, what, what do we think? Well, it, it, you know, athletes, coaches, or teams around the Nike campus was somewhat of the norm, right? But um, here we were in our weekly marketing meeting and we're just about to get started, and the door bursts open, <laughs> and in walks Coach K unannounced. There he is, live and in person. And he literally says hi, and then immediately just launches right into it. And the first words out of his mouth were, your eyes. He said, your eyes are your advantage. Now, how amazing is that, right? Talk about just getting everybody's attention. 
And that's where he goes on to say, you're able to see things that others don't see, or you're able to find things that others don't. Because as a marketing team, you know, your job is to reveal insights and truths that are oftentimes hidden. You know, it's the teams and the individuals that can peel back those layers to reveal that truth that then gives creative teams something to work with that they can then express in new and interesting ways. And so he essentially said, yeah, your vision is your advantage. You need to lean into that. And he just kind of said goodbye and walked out. The whole thing, (laughs) maybe seven minutes. And hey, I grew up loving UNLV in Georgetown. So man, Duke was not not my team. But as I said, you know, he could have really asked me to do anything and I, I would have done it in that moment. So isn't it great, though, that he could have just said, hey, thank you. Congrats on all your success and keep doing what you're doing. But to have that level of, of world perspective and that level of empathy, if you will, in terms of understanding how we spent our days and what our creative pursuits were and and basically tell us something that maybe we we subconsciously knew but even the way he revealed it right through a vision advantage is quite profound and so that always stuck with me and certainly I think it's something we can all live by because so many things that we need to reveal to the world are invisible right now mm-hmm. right because we can't see We can only see what's on the surface. Oftentimes we're spectators in the game. We're not on the actual field. And as creatives, we need to be on the field of play in the game, feeling what those lived in experiences are like Mm -hmm. so that we can better, better inspire uh, and better innovate for everyone around us. Greg, you did such a great job at Nike bringing in inspiration, Coach K and others. You even brought in someone who truly believed in Bigfoot, which I kind of find fascinating. I love how you pulled in outside perspectives to influence and really motivate the organization. You know, you also speak about how creativity is everyone's job, and and, and I couldn't agree more. And a big part of what Myra and I do as chief creative officers um, is is really inspire, inspire the people we work with. You know, we can't just be quality control. Do you mind talking a little bit more about how you keep an organization or kept an organization like Nike inspired? Well, it's a great question. As, and, and certainly, I believe, as I, both of you do, that, that curiosity is the rocket fuel for creativity. And that maybe we're not all naturally curious, um, but certainly I think you be, can become more curious and, and create habits that allow you to go out there and see the world and all of the inspiration within it to bring back into your teams. And that's why I used to say, you know, what might start out as homework becomes habit because I, in some ways, look to operationalize this idea of bringing inspiration inside the brand. And we call that, you know, outside in sessions. Anytime anyone took a trip, you were obligated to come back and share that with the team. Who did you see? Who'd you meet? What did you experience? You know, if I went to the consumer electronics show, I couldn't just have that sitting around in my head. Or I went to, if I went to the global TED conference, it was really, really important for me to uh, drop practical 
context from what I experienced and share that with everyone. And I talk a lot about a lot of the time I spent around Kobe Bryant, who was the most curious individual I had ever come across. I mean, talk about someone who was the definition of being a lifelong learner. He was just obsessed with learning anything in the animal kingdom, in the world of science, technology, entertainment. And he would show up to our meetings. And basically, even as marketers, sometimes we're getting marketing lessons in terms of what are the emerging mediums and technologies and capabilities out there that he'd like to see us use to present his products, right? So you're getting a lesson from him. And so it's just such a tragedy that he's not here anymore. And, and just to know how he inspired us as a creative team and taught us to be more curious about the world around us. So that's one. And then your second point about, because I do talk about this idea of creativity as a team sport. And, and what I don't mean is you're going to cook a meal with eight chefs because <laughs> We all know what happens there. Yeah, we do. <laughs> yes, we do. And I do believe you need um, both the left and right brain thinkers in the room multiplying each other's expertise. If it's just us, if it's just us creatives, we might as well open an, an art gallery. And you know what? Maybe that would be something <laughs> we should Maybe do Maybe that anyways. would be great. You yeah. want to do that? I'm I did that. that. <laughs> I love it. I guess the last part of that is that it's understanding as long as everyone understands where their position is on the field of creativity, if you will, just to keep going with that sport metaphor and that we're not in the business of these long handoffs and divisions with between departments and that you've gotten rid of the silos and you've developed this creative collaboration and chemistry because it's like a newsroom. Everybody, you know, if you think of a newsroom, it's like you got the editor, the writer, the art director, everybody's in there because you, you got to deliver in the moment. And so I'm just a big believer in, in making sure figuratively or literally everybody's sitting shoulder to shoulder and everybody's making very short passes. You're not in a culture of permission or waiting, which I think are killers to developing a culture of creative excellence. So yeah, that that's this idea of creativity as a team sport. Greg, thank you for your time. This has been such a fantastic conversation. We can talk to you all day. Unfortunately, we are running out of time. But before we go, we wrap up each episode by asking our guests the same question, and that's if advertising will save us. What do you think, Greg? Well, yes, and let me let me kind of expand on that. I think storytellers will save us because it's the storytellers, they stir those deep emotions that create the level of engagement in the world that creates the change, right? To create the change we're talking about, you need brands, you need disciplines like advertising, you need storytellers that will reach into people's hearts and tap into something that makes them stand up and say, you know what? I can participate in this. I too have conviction. And now that you've invited me into this conversation, I'm ready to go. And so when I talk about creativity as a force for good, it's those creative practices like brand communication, art direction, right? What, whatever it is, those are the, the talents and the collectives that I feel 
can really move us closer to a world that, you know, quite frankly, is more inclusive and quite frankly, on the sustainability side, offers a, a better future down the road for the generations that come after us. So when we say advertising will save us, to me, it's really the characteristics and traits of the creative process of empathy, curiosity, risk-taking, and collaboration. If we lean into those traits and we use them as forces for good within our creative process, I believe we've got a great future. So there you have it. Greg Hoffman's verdict on whether advertising will save us. And I think in terms of the power of advertising and creativity, when harnessed correctly to drive social change, it's a, it's a, it's a very firm yes. Yeah, I agree. After that many years at Nike, I bet it's pretty impossible to not be optimistic about where we're headed. I mean, he's done so much to influence, I know, just you and I growing up in this industry. Nike does purpose so naturally, and I think it's because of people like Greg and his philosophy on marketing that has really created that. And I wish, I guess we all thought more like Greg. It's so true, and it speaks to Nike again, once again, as an organization to recognize Greg right? He's a designer. He's a graphic designer, but he's clearly a lot more than that. And just to understand who they are and who they need to be and to find the people in their organization who authentically can express that is, again, a tribute to the brand. It's a tribute to the team they have over there. And um, it, look, it shows up in the work. His egolessness was most surprising to me. He's like the humblest person and in this industry, you know, as well as I do, there's a lot of big egos. And just to meet someone with that amount of success behind him, to still be so humble and give credit to everybody that contributed to that work is wildly impressive. Yeah. And there's, there's another theme too, right? It's, it's the curiosity. It's like he's always learning. He seems like somebody who's, and it makes sense, he's a professor now, right? It's, he's always learning. He's always growing. Uh, something I'm going to take back with me is his uh, constant focus on inspiring the teams that work into him. Because at the end of the day, I mean, we all complain we're so busy. Like you can only be as good as really the teams you have, and and it's and it's up to you to make sure that they're inspired and they're and they're really set up to be their best. Yeah, I mean, that's what this podcast is supposed to be all about, right? We walk away feeling like we could be doing so much more. <laughs> And hopefully people listening will be just as inspired to make that kind of change in their day-to-day. Okay, so we have one more segment um, for all of you before we wrap it up, and we call it The Kids Are All Right. And each week we will bring someone new to the industry to hear how they plan to change it for the better. And this week we have Corey Adams. He's a brand new designer, works with Myra in the Chicago office, and he's come out of the internship program in Chicago. My name is Corey Adams. I think one thing I would like to achieve through advertising is I think everybody has their own unique story. So I think contributing through design, advertising can be used as a mode to get your design work out there. And a lot of people can identify themselves within that design work. So I think just getting stories that are unique to identity and inclusion out there through design you can really tell important stories in unique ways and harness design to draw in audiences 
Thank you for listening. Advertising Will Save Us is an Intelligence Squared production in partnership with Havas U.S. The producers are Isabella Soames, Yosula Alaranchola, and technical assistance from Mark Roberts. If you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend, tell that friend to tell that friend, and so on. Um, and please, all of you, subscribe and leave us a glowing review, or at least email us and tell us uh, what you'd rather hear. What are you doing right now? Perhaps you're in the supermarket. Maybe you're on a run or on the commute. But wherever you are in the world, and whatever you're doing, right now you're also listening to my voice. This is the power of podcasts. The ability to communicate with your audience in an intimate and intentional way through audio. I'm B. Duncan, Senior Partnerships Producer at Intelligence Squared. We've been a world-leading forum for talks, debates and events for over two decades. And we also use our cutting-edge curation, creativity and editorial expertise to elevate your brand to new audiences with podcasting. Intrigued? To find out what we can do for your organisation, book into a free consultation with me today. Find out more by going to www.intelligencesquared.com forward slash partnerships.